0: Hello and welcome to the Praise Center sermon of the week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit praisecenteronline.com. Today we're we're going to be talking uh, out of the book of James. Uh, How many of you have read the book of James? Yes. All right. Good. So, as you probably know, the book of James is a very practical book in the Bible. There's a lot of poetry, historical books, theological books. James is theological, but it's very hands-on, very practical. Uh, as Pastor Sal uh, said earlier, it's kind of, uh, you know, punchy in the gut kind of book, um, but it's only because James loves the church, and it's, he's saying some challenging things, and uh, what we're going to be going over today is challenging, but it's a loving word that James uh, gave to the church a couple thousand years ago, and is really prevalent for us today. Uh, so we're going to go ahead, and we're going to open in prayer, and then I'm going to give a quick introduction to what we're talking about, and then we're going to dive into the text. Uh, So, Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you are here amongst us, you are here with your church, and we thank you for that. We thank you that your Holy Spirit dwells within us, you are speaking to us today, and I ask that us as your church, Lord, we would just come humbly before you to receive your word. Lord, that we would just cast aside all pride, and Lord, we would just be desperate to know you, to hear your word, to be transformed by your word. Lord, I just pray that I would speak your truth, and not what I have to say, but what you have to say, and we just have receptive hearts, we praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, let's dig into it. Since the early church first began, Christians have been tested both by trials, tribulation, and temptation. This letter that James wrote was being addressed to Christians that had been spread abroad outside of Jerusalem. The recipients of this letter were under severe persecution for their faith in Jesus. Many had lost their inheritance, their jobs, homes, and worst of all, disowned by their Jewish families. Faith in Jesus brings about testing. And this testing does one of two things. One, it purifies our faith and produces genuine fruit through the Holy Spirit. Or it reveals that our faith isn't real because nothing good is produced from it. The Christians addressed in this letter are falling into what James calls being double-minded. The Greek word used here is dipsohos, which literally means double-minded, wavering, or divided. In interest, it is believed that James actually created this word in order to explain what some of the believers were falling into being double minded, attempting to serve two masters, or to have allegiance to something other than Jesus. This Greek word is only used two times in the entire New Testament, it's both in James's letter. And the reason why it's believed is because he's the only one that's used it. And he was addressing a situation that was really rising up in the church. And so out of a, a loving heart as a pastor, wanted to address these issues in the church, just curb the problems that were happening because he loves them. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to address uh, issues that can happen in our lives. How do we curb them? Just purify them, get them out of our lives so we can be practicing Christians. And that's the title of our, our message today. So uh, <clears throat> and as we continue in the introduction... James says in uh, James 1, 6-8, it says, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. The temptations were enticing, and James knew that the Christians needed a challenging and encouraging word to help steer them back towards Jesus. And that's what this letter is all about. The practicing Christian is not double-minded. They're single-minded and focused on one thing, their Savior, Jesus Christ. Today we will focus on what it means to be a practicing Christian, and we will give extra attention to James' section on the tongue and how much power it holds and our command in how to use it. So our first section, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be doers of the Word. So in the, we're going to cover the text we're going to build a foundation here for what is a practicing Christian. How do we live out a life of being a practicing Christian? And then we're going to dive a little bit deeper into one of the many subjects uh, he talked about, which was the power of the tongue. So, here in James uh, chapter 1, verse 19-22, through 22, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness That God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, you could almost just read that text right there and be like, that's that's the entire message right there. Uh, How many problems in our world and in our lives would be solved if we just abided by those first three things he said? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. This was one of the issues that was coming up in the church. You can imagine they're, they're, they're inundated with trials, tribulation, like we just said in the introduction, they're, they're suffering, they're persecuted, they've lost their homes, they've been pushed out of their homeland. I, I, you can imagine the difficulties that they're enduring and the temptation, the anger that might rise up of being angry at, at, at Jesus, being angry at, at the fact that they've, they've abandoned everything, and there's gossiping, there's slandering, there's division happening. And this is what James is addressing here. So right off the bat, he already addresses these three things. And again, what, what, what could we learn here? Just slow to speak, quick to listen... Don't get angry. There's righteous anger that we can have in our life, right? There's, there's things that we can be angry and that God is pleased that we're angry about things. But a lot, if correct me if I'm wrong, most of the anger we see happening in our world is unrighteous anger. It just kind of gets, you know, it comes up in our flesh. We get angry over things we shouldn't get angry over. You know, when we are tested, when, when things just get bottlenecked in our life, it really shows the content of what is in our heart. And, and then that's where the, the unrighteous anger kind of comes out out of our hearts. I remember, this is a little gross, but uh, there was a time where my family, we were all sick with the flu, and people are throwing up, and it's just everybody's sick. And, and in the, these moments of just anger and frustration, you just say things you shouldn't say, and it kind of reveals the lack of patience you have, the lack of love that you have, and, and it just reveals the content of our heart, right? Those, the trials, the, the hard times, the difficult things reveals that content. So what James is saying is let's be aware of the content in our life. And let's just, let's purge those things out of our lives. So he says, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that is planted in you. It will save you. And not only are they inundated with trials, tribulation, and challenging things in their life, there's just the moral wickedness of the culture, right? Right? How many of you would say our culture in America is absolutely saturated with wickedness? It's absolutely saturated. It's around us constantly, all the time, in front of you, no matter what. And, and you, could, you, you could close your eyes and you would still just feel the wickedness of this culture around us all the time. And, and James is saying here, you guys, purge this out of your life. Purge the wickedness. Don't let it come into your lives by any means necessary. Don't let it come into your life. Because if you allow this filth and this moral wickedness to come into your life, you're, you're going to be angry, you're going you're gonna to allow a division in your life, you're going to slander people, you're going to gossip people against people, you're going to do things that aren't right. And, and what is the key here? He says, humble yourself, receive the word that is implanted in you, it will save you. you you've got to humble yourself and, and you've got to just let go of that filth and that wickedness. It's our pride that prevents us, from, from, from purging that wickedness out of our life, right? It's our pride thinking, we know better than God. We know better than Him. We're gonna, I'm going to keep that filthiness. I'm going to keep that wickedness in my life. I know better than God. And this is where James then in the last section here, he gets into this. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So this is the uh, be doers of the word. When he says deceive yourselves, he's talking about self-deception, He's talking about where we've convinced ourselves that what we are doing is okay. What we're doing is okay. The the moral filth, the wickedness, we've convinced ourselves it's okay. This self-deception is similar to the idea of the Garden of Eden when the serpent convinced Eve that, hey, you know what? It's all right. You're not going to die. This is good. Go ahead and eat that fruit. Not a big deal. So Eve was deceived, and what James is is addressing here is self-deception. You yourself deceive yourself into believing you can live in moral filth, you can live in wickedness, you can do these things that God doesn't want you to do, and you convince yourself that it's okay. You don't actually have to listen to the word, or you don't have to actually do the word, you can just listen to it, and you're okay. Wow. This is a really dangerous, dangerous place for a believer to be in. This is why James is addressing it. When we self-deceive ourselves, we come to a point where we can, we can allow immorality into our lives, and then we say, it's okay. God's okay with this. It's not that big of a deal. So you live your life for Jesus. You say you love Jesus, but you've deceived yourself. You've convinced yourself it's not that big of a deal. It's okay. God still loves me. I can, I can do this. It's, it's, it's really only hurting me, or maybe it's not even hurting me, but it's what I'm going to do, and you have self-deceived yourself. And what happened in the first deception of the garden? Eat, it brought about the, the, the sin of the world, right? The destruction, the sin that has just corrupted everything, destroyed everything, and brought about all this wickedness because of deception. So he's saying, do not allow yourselves to be self-deceived. You see, James, this is a love letter. This is a love letter. James loves the church. He cares about the church so much, he does not want believers to fall in this false deception. Uh, G- Jesus actually addressed this in Matthew. I have a quick passage here I want to share with you. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, verse 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Uh, a, a good a better translation for evildoers would be you who practice iniquity, you who practice wickedness, you who live in sin, is what Jesus is saying here. So these two these two things, the self-deception, are correlated right here what Jesus is addressing what James is addressing and they're not this is not trying to condemn people I want you to hear the heart of James here hear the heart of Jesus here he's not trying to condemn you and be like oh you you're so terrible you committed a sin uh you know you're gonna go to hell you're gonna burn like you didn't you weren't perfect like this is not the heart that James is trying to come across here and so we have to understand what is the difference between sinning and living in sin there's a huge, huge difference that we have to understand as believers. So committing a sin, which we'll, we'll see here a little bit later that James addresses, we all sin. Amen? Yes. We all sin. We, we shouldn't be proud of it, but it's, it happens. We all commit acts of sin. The difference between committing a sin and living in sin is when you sin, you repent of your sins, you turn towards Jesus, and you say, I, I don't want to have anything to do with that, Lord. I, I, I don't want to live that kind of life. I don't, want to, I don't want that to be a part of me. That's not who you are. It's not what you send your word. I, I don't want that. I repent, I turn towards you. That's committing sin. Recognize it and turning towards Jesus. We're all going to do it. We're going to do it till the day we die. Right? James says later on, and I don't want to ruin anything yet, but he says, we all stumble in many ways. Even James acknowledges this. But living in sin, this is what James is addressing, what Jesus is addressing. This living in sin is this self-deception where you are now adopting a lifestyle of sin in your life where you have convinced yourself, I can praise Jesus, but I can also sin, right? And, that, and I can live in it. And I, can, I can have it a part of my life and that's okay. And so Jesus, because he desperately loves you. I, I hope you know this. Jesus desperately loves you. He does not want you to come before him on judgment day and, and where you're self-deceived and you thought your whole life, I can just live in sin no this is my personal thing this is it's not that big of a deal even though god's word says i shouldn't do this and you stand before him and can you imagine at least the unbeliever goes before god knowing that they're condemned before him because they didn't receive him right but the believer the person who says i i love jesus and they stand before him on the day of judgment and they're like oh jesus i loved you i prophesy Prophecy's good i cast out demons i man That's incredible. I did good things. I read my Bible. I went to church. I lifted my hands. I I did all the good Christian things. I loved my family. I did all these things. But I practiced wickedness, which is a rebellious heart. It's a prideful heart. And like what James said earlier, you guys, you've got to humble yourself, receive the word that is within you. It will save you. And what Jesus is saying is, don't come before me on that day of judgment and be someone who has practiced wickedness your whole life. I love what Pastor Sal la- said last week on the fresh start. You know, even, even someone who claims to love Jesus but lives in wickedness still has a chance to repent and turn back towards Jesus. It's never too late. As long as you're breathing air on this earth, you can always turn back to Jesus. He loves you. He will take you back. It, it, right? He loves us. But he also, when, when we've taken our last breath, there's judgment before us. Right? And, and, and God, he, he's not going, he's not going to take judgment lightly and, and it's going to be harsh and it's going to be, it's, it's going to be difficult. And can you imagine being a believer and you, you're, you're thinking I'm right before God. I did all these good things. And, and then in the back of your mind, you're like, wait, but I, I practiced wickedness. I lived in sin. I rebelled against God. And, and Jesus says, I, I didn't know you. It's a prideful thing. And, and, and this is something that we have just got to let go in our heart as believers. We have to humbly come before God, and say, God, you have ownership of my life. You are the king of my life. I know I'm going to sin, but I'm going to repent of that sin. I'm not going to hold on to it. You know, it's funny how like I, I see articles today and, and people say like, oh, can, can you be a, a, a Christian homosexual? Well, I'm like, well, can you be a, a Christian murderer? Can you be a Christian adulterer? Can you be a Christian thief? Well, God can forgive anybody of anything. But if you continue to practice in this sin and don't repent of it, well, no, you're, you're not a practicing Christian. You're not a doer of the Word. You're merely a listener of the Word. You're not actually practicing what God has commanded you to do. And I know that's kind of a hard thing to, but to, to, to hear, but you know what? God loves us so much, and He doesn't want us to fall into self-deception. You know, to just kind of break the, 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 the hard word receiving from James, there's a, a a couple months ago, my son Titus. He's the sweetest heart. He's five years old. I I, I think of as just my little baby angel. I love him with all my heart. And a couple months ago, he uh, I'd see him walking out of the kitchen, and he'd have his hands behind his back, and he'd he'd be going like this, shuffling, like and have this kind of sly smile, like. And I'd be sitting in my chair reading a book, and I'm like, I'm just, you know, in my mind is, you know, I'm I'm thinking my perfect angel, and I'm like, oh. He's, he's so cute, he's just, you know, little tease, you know, and, and he kind of shuffles and he like escapes to his bedroom or hides behind a chair. And he did this a number of times. And finally, I, I was like, is something going on here? And, uh, and I asked Titus one time, like, Titus, like, are you hiding something behind your back? And, uh, and, you know, he shows me and he's got this big bread roll, you know, it's like right before dinner. My first thought is like, you know, he's, you know, a son after his dad's own heart. He's got to have his carbs, right? He's got to have his carbs. But he knows he's not supposed to do it. Even at five years old, he knows he's being sneaky. He's like, oh, yeah, dad doesn't know. He, he doesn't see what's going on, even though mom already told me I shouldn't do this. And, and he's being sneaky. He knows he's not supposed to eat that bread roll, even though it tastes so good. But it, even at five years old, he's deceiving himself, thinking that it's okay, like, as long as mom and dad don't know, it's not a big deal. And, and, and when I saw that, I just realized, even from a young age, uh, the brokenness inside of us, we so easily deceive ourselves. And that's why we need the Word of God. We need the Holy Spirit to help guide us. We're, we're broken people, and we need our Lord to guide us in the truth. He loves us so much, and that's why He's given us our Word, to help steer us away from sin, to help reveal to us, you know what, don't deceive yourself, don't live in this sin, there's a better way to do it, amen? All right. now as we've kind of built this foundation for what is a practicing Christian, what is a doer of the Word, I wanted to focus on the subject of controlling our tongue. And I'm not addressing this situation because I think there's anything in our own church uh, that has to be addressed. In fact, I, I was talking to my dad last night, and I told my dad, we were talking on the phone about the message, and, and I told my dad, I said, Dad, I love my church so much. It is, it's the most amazing church that I've ever been a part of in my life. And I said, over the last few years of being a part of this church, all the lunches and dinners and things that I've been to and people that I've hung out in our church, not one time, Have I ever heard somebody slander another person in this church? Not one time have I heard somebody gossip about somebody else in this church. Not one time have I I heard somebody try and cause division in this church. And I said, I am so thankful for this church. And I wanted to encourage you as a church today. God is pleased with you. I felt like the Lord wanted me to give you that word. God is pleased with you as a church because you are a church that that is healthy, a church that loves God, doesn't want division, doesn't want to break people down, doesn't want to cut people down. And I just want to thank you so much for that. Can we Just oh, a round of applause for the work that God has done in us in a church. And, and look, I, I don't say that to, to try and flatter you. I just say it because I think God is pleased with our church. And I think He loves that there is unity and that we love one another. And there's nothing in us that wants to break down the people in our church. And I just I love that. And I wanted to give you that encouragement as we move forward in controlling our tongue. This message really is on a real individual basis that we understand the power of the tongue and how God wants us to use the tongue. We're going to work out of uh, James chapter three, verse one through ten. It's a lengthy passage, but I think it's really worth listening to. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. That's what I was referencing a little bit earlier. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Better translation would be mature, able to keep their whole body in check. And and here in verse 3, he's going to give three analogies for the power of the tongue. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can, be tamed, can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings, Who have been made in the likeness, in in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Wow. You know, James is addressing something that was really prevalent in what the people are struggling with. And that was division in the church, people cursing each other, people becoming angry because of the trials and the tribulations that they were suffering under. And he gives them three analogies, and my favorite out of the three of the power of the tongue was the forest fire, how it's started by just a small spark. I think those of us who live in the valley here, we can really relate to the power of a fire that starts oftentimes by somebody throwing a cigarette butt out their window in the dry season, or somebody who starts a a small campfire when they shouldn't, and then a a huge fire erupts. it, It destroys hundreds, if not thousands of acres of land, people's homes. I mean, do you guys remember last year in August how toxic the air had become? I mean it was it was literally toxic. I I, I where I work at we sell lots of tools and equipment for construction and we sell respi- uh you know masks for uh you know protecting your mouth and everything. And I could not keep those things on the shelf. I, I had people just coming in and literally buying hundreds of masks because nobody could do work outside. It was it was terrible. It made me want to just like leave and go like go to like, I don't know, the west coast or something. It was kind of bad there too. And, and it, was, it was toxic. And, and when I think about the analogy he gave here, it, it, it literally is that the tongue can bring absolute chaos and destruction and, and destroy everything in its path just by what a person can say. How many of you have been affected by what somebody has said and affected you in an absolute negative, terrible way? I think every single one of us could, could with certainty say there are people who have said terrible things about us and it hurt us and it caused division and it hurt and it broke our hearts and what God is saying is you guys there's power in the tongue don't use it for evil don't allow it to be used for evil um you know uh a couple months ago I was driving I was leaving work and um I, I don't know if you guys know where Denny's is at but the, the intersection there everybody runs red lights like, it's nobody's business when they're making the left-hand turns. And a lot of times, Pastor Sal, like, when we're leaving uh, the parking lot, like, you have to wait. Two or three cars sometimes will just drive right in the red light, and you're waiting. You're like, I got a green light. Like, I want to go. And So anyways, I, I'm making my left-hand turn. I always try to be really courteous when I'm leaving uh, that left-hand turn. I don't want anybody to think I'm trying to just cut them off, you know, And when they're making their right-hand turn. And I, always, I never speed. I don't try and, like, be rude. I just I want to get home safely and I, this one day I was making this left-hand turn, and eventually I had to get into the right-hand lane in order to get home, and I was trying to, like, make sure there's at least five to ten car lengths, if possible, between me and the car behind me. I do, I do. I, I try to be a really safe driver because, and I don't want people to think I'm rude by, like, you know, just cutting them off. Sometimes you, you, you have to because, you know, you're not gonna be able to get in your lane, but I just, I, I like to, I like to be safe on the road. All right, and, uh, and, but this time I kind of had to speed ahead because this car in the right lane, you know, we're kind of going the same speed. So I kind of had to speed ahead to get over and, and but I made sure there's lots of room between us. And then we came, we immediately come up to a red light and I see this guy come right up behind my truck and he has this face of just like pure, like, I hate you. Like you'd think I just beat his dog to death, ran over it on my truck and sped off. Like, just the the this face of like oh you know and then he flips me two birds and just holding them there and I'm like wow this is a really long red light right now this is <laughs> this is really uncomfortable <laughs> and uh and it, you know immediately as I'm I'm watching him the flush kind of rose up in my mind I'm just like you know what I'm gonna flip him a bird too uh I'm going to roll down my window. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. And you know what? If he wants to rumble, there's a parking lot right to the side of us. Like, I've just been honest. Like, the flesh just kind of, like, rises up. You're like, I'll take on this guy. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, I'm just, I'm justified in, 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 in this. And immediately, the Lord rebuked me. And, and just, he, gave, he actually gave me a vision right there in the moment. And, and he showed me this man coming to our church. And I was standing up on the stage you know, praying and worshiping. And he showed me this man come in and he recognized me as the man who cursed him and flipped him off. And that was his image of Jesus, was of this double-minded people who don't practice what they preach. They don't actually live out the word. And he gave me this vision and I immediately repented and I just said, God, forgive me. I, I, I just, I felt I felt terrible, you know, for, for, for thinking these things, but it's just the flesh rising up. And, and that's where we just repent. We say, God, I don't want that in my life, right? I repent of that. So I began just praying for salvation, began praying for whatever hurt was inside of him that make him be so angry and hateful and just began praying for him. And immediately, I just began feeling the peace. Of the Holy Spirit come over me and just realized, you know what, it's not a big deal. I, I, don't, I don't need to act in retaliation toward this guy. I, I, I need to love like Jesus does right that that's what the believer is called to because if i you know would god have forgiven me if i had acted in the flesh yes but is that what god desires for us no and i don't want to fall into a habit of just acting in the flesh doing what just comes as impulse i want to be self-controlled listening to the holy spirit acting in obedience humbly to the word right so the power of the tongue you know we look at the Garden of Eden, and how, how, how did this happen? It, through de- deception, right? But it happened by the serpent speaking to Eve. And he deceived her just by speaking to her, speaking lies to her. And so church, my encouragement to you is let's, let's just be people, not only in the church, but in our homes, in our communities, in our workplace. Let's just people, be people to encourage one another. Let's be people to edify and build each other up, even in the moments of stress and, and anger that we just subdue that by the spirit and we just we speak good things to each other we speak positively to each other and we build each other up in jesus name like that, that that's what god has called us to you know uh i, I don't know what america is going to look like 20 years from now i really don't things just seem to kind of decline and decline and and it, it's kind of becoming an ugly place all you have to do is go on any youtube video a forum a blog and look how people talk to each other and it's despicable, it's unhuman how people speak to each other. We, we as, a, as, as a culture speak to each other like we're just garbage. And, and, and James says here, you guys, do not praise God and do not curse people because they've been made in the image of God. You know, our elected officials are made in the image of God and that homeless man addicted to meth are made in the image of God. And we can't curse any of them. No matter what anybody has done to us, we cannot speak evil against anybody. We just can't. We're not allowed to. It's this double-mindedness that James is addressing here. Let's be people that only build up, only pray for people and encourage them, love them, and want to see them come to that salvation of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to close here. Let's cast off double-minded living in all aspects of our life. Jesus loves us. James loves us. And what they say in this letter isn't, it's, again, it's not to condemn us. It's not to make us feel like we're dirt or we're just terrible people. It, it really is for the preservation of our souls. Jesus wants every single one of us and every single one of us in this world to spend all of eternity with him he really does he loves us so much he sent his son to die for us he paid the ultimate price so that we didn't have to be slaves to sin but we could live in righteousness through Jesus Christ I mean that that, that's his plan that's what he wants for us we are the ones who who we just we say no I I know better I know better how to live and in that pride we just say I I know better than you God And, and God is just no you don't you don't know better I know better. Don't stand before me one day and be shocked when I say I don't know you because you just refused to repent and you refused and you just lived in wickedness. So I have three practical applications today for us as believers on how we can live as practicing Christians. One, get rid of moral filth and evil, James 1.21. Just purge it from your lives don't allow it to come into your life, whether it be through TVs or, or through work or through, through friends or anything. Just don't allow it to saturate in your heart and so that it just comes out of you and it just out of your words and out of your actions. Get rid of it. Like, G, like Jesus said, it's better just to chop off your hand, right, than to go and, and, and be cast into hell because you were just unwilling to let go of your sins. It's, just cut it out. Just cut out that filth. It's not worth it, Right? Jesus paid the price to live in righteousness, to, be, to, to live free from sin. He paid the price. As believers, we have the power and the authority to not be slaves to sin. You do not have to be slaves to sin. He paid the price. There's power in the Holy Spirit to not live in sin. Second, humble yourself before God. Receive His instruction. I think this is the hardest thing for us to do as people, just humbling ourselves and saying, God, I don't want to be a prideful person. You know better than me. I just submit to you. I just submit to you. Your Word is my guide. Your Holy Spirit will lead me in the truth. I submit to it. Right. And lastly, don't just listen to the Word of God. Do what it says. It's easy to listen to the Word, let it go in one ear and out the other, and just not practice it. And James says, don't be double-minded. Yeah. Don't, just don't do it. The price that Jesus paid was too great to live that kind of life, right? He loves you so much, He doesn't want you to live that kind of life. He, he, he loves you too much. Do you, you know that? He loves you too much for you to live a double-minded kind of life. Practice the Word. He's giving you the power through the Holy Spirit to do it. Don't fall into self-deception. Humble yourself, right? Jesus loves you so much. We're, we're going to close in prayer, and as we pray, I want you to do those things. Repent of your sins. Humble yourself before the Lord. Just acknowledge His great love for you. The sacrifice that He has made for you. Humbly receive His instruction. And say, God, I'm going to be a doer of Your Word, not just a listener. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank You for the price You paid so that we could live our lives according to Your Word. That we don't just have to be people who listen to it and, and try. We can actually be people who listen and do. We can live in authority in the power of the Word of God. We can live in power and authority through the Holy Spirit. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves to Jesus Christ. And Lord, I just pray for anybody here today who might feel stuck in that cycle of just not knowing how to get free from sin, not knowing how to just get free from what they may feel like they're living in sin. Lord, Lord, you would just give them just uh just the the freedom from that right now in jesus name lord that they would humble themselves be willing to confess to a brother or to a sister and just say pray for me i need you i need the holy spirit to help me with this that they would receive the instruction of the word and they would begin living and doing as you have commanded them lord and we receive this in jesus holy name amen Amen. thank you for listening to pray center sermon of the week Don't forget, for more information, visit PrayCenterOnline.com.